0: Good morning, everybody, again. Wow, this is really neat. And uh, so, Scripture says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, That is so important that if in the course of the morning... Uh, whether the last five minutes or the last minute and a half of me fumbling around with the mic has, uh, has caused anybody uh, to uh, uh, get involved in a mental attitude sin, now is our time to take care of that privately in your soul, you face to face with the Lord. Uh, and we'll take that time to do that because... Uh, we don't want anybody to be wasting their time here this morning, and, and if we approach the word in a carnal state, we're just wasting our time. It's uh, it's physical activity that has uh, no spiritual benefit. It doesn't bother the Lord. He is perfectly happy all the time, always has been, always will be. But it's for our benefit that we do that. So I'm gonna we're gonna go to the, before the throne of grace in prayer. I'll allow a few seconds for uh, confession of sin if that's necessary, and then I'll open us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, once again, we do love You and we appreciate the uh, awesome privilege we have of being able to participate as we have prayed in the ministry of the Gospel. And to be able to uh, communicate and take in the Word that in the power of the Holy Spirit we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be better equipped for the work that You've given us to do. Pray that no untruth ever goes forth from the pulpit of this church. And pray that the Holy Spirit will always make it real to those whomever, whoever are listening. We ask Your blessing on our time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. So what are we talking about today? You've, you've got the blue screen up there in front of you. And uh, let's see. Genesis 8 and 9. So what is that? That's the, well, you can see on my slide, it's called the recovery from the flood. That's probably a poor choice of words, but uh, that's what I thought about when I put it on there. It's not a, it's not a recovery from, it's a, it was a... Uh, uh, the damage that was done by the flood was already done by the time we get to this point and the recovery has already bearing, been guaranteed. And in fact, it was enacted when Noah and his wife and his three sons, Ham, Shem, Ham, and Japhet, and uh, their wives, and all the animals, twos by twos and sevens by sevens, that got on the ark with him, uh, and the Lord sealed up the door and started the flood, they were saved. Uh, and uh, we... Uh, uh, to bring us up to speed where we are now and, and it'll make sense. So back in uh, Genesis 6, uh, 13, uh, God said to Noah, quote, The end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence because of them and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. It's going to wipe it all out. Uh, and so he told Noah at that juncture to build an ark. Now, nobody had ever built an ark before in history. Uh, so we don't know what specific instructions he gave him other than the details that in those few verses in Genesis 6 about the length, breadth, and height of the ark should be, and and to what it was to the wood, the gopher wood it was to be made out of, and and how the uh, joints in the wood were to be uh, sealed so that they wouldn't leak. But it's a paltry details uh, to make a uh, a ship uh, of that size that uh, fully laden was probably fourteen thousand tons. Uh, that's a, you know it's not big by uh, modern day. Uh, ultra-bulk crude-carrying vessels that go 100,000 tons or better. Uh, and, but it's big. 14,000 tons is a lot of boat. A lot of wooden boat. Okay, so he did that. And the Scripture acknowledges in, in 20, verse 22 there in chapter 6, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. And then in Genesis 7-11, it, it, we, we get a time stamp on this event, and this is unique. There's only two of those in all of primeval history. Two timestamps. stamps. One is on creation, and the second one is on the flood. Uh, we, can, we can nuke out, so to speak, that when that happened, uh, based on whatever calendar we're using, uh, because of the testimony that we have in Scripture and Scripture, Genesis seven eleven, it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, yeah, he was getting up there, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were open. So the water that was beneath in the fountains of the great deep, and there's some conjecture about do those Fountains still exist. Uh, we won't go into that. The Lord describes how they opened up and brought forth water, so we accept that. And then the floodgates of the sky were opened up, and it started raining. So water was coming from. Have you ever had your back up your drain back up in your basement, and the water starts coming out of the drain and flooding your basement, or if you've got little concrete, you've got little cracks. The closest thing to, a, to a, 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 a deep was in my house where I live right now. We had uh, one time with a lot of water and the drainage system around the house wasn't that great yet. And I'm down there in the basement, some of these stress cracks in the concrete. I'm looking and water is spraying up out of these things because of the water pressure under the foundation. Okay, so that's my analogy. Anyway, it happened, a lot of water. Uh, and we know it rained for how long? 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time of continuous rain from above and the water coming up from, from below. Uh, so in the 600th year, the second month, the 17th day, the beginning of the flood happened. Fast forward to what we're going to get to today in the 601st year, second month, 27th day. So, same month, a year in advance, 10 more days. So, what do you got? Roughly 370 days. Uh, mark the end of the flood and the earth is dry. Now, we're not there yet in today's uh, discussion, but we're going to get there. So, Genesis 8.1. Some Hebrew and some English. We're not going to do the Hebrew. Uh, we, I would love to do a verse-by-verse exegesis of this particular scripture. Uh, we don't have the luxury of that much time right now. Uh, this is a uh, this is a broad overview of the of the whole period of Genesis one through eleven as a prelude to jumping back into Deuteronomy talking about the children of Israel on the plains of Moab before they go across the Jordan into the promised land. And this is all stuff that Moses is giving them. And we're just giving some background here. That's what this is. So we got to whiz-bang through this. Uh, it says, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. Now, what does that mean, God remembered? Did he forget not likely. Uh, it it more appropriately is saying, God thought about. Uh, we don't think about everything all the time. Uh, I can't answer that about God because he's omniscient and, and he probably can think about everything all the time. Uh, but it, it makes a particular note here. He thought about Noah and all the beast. Well... Little accident out there, um, but there are there are references in uh, there are references in scripture. Other times, this has happened, where the the terminology is used where it says God remembered, and these are things where a big shift is going on. Th- things are happening, and uh, they use that terminology. For example, Genesis nineteen twenty nine with uh, reference to Sodom. So thus it came about, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot Lot lived. In Genesis 30 and 22, uh, Rachel says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So that she could bear a child. I guess everybody's okay? All right, thank you. Exodus 2.24. So God heard of their groaning and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So a common terminology used in Scripture doesn't mean God forgets. He never forgets anything. But He thought in this instance about Noah. The fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed. And rain from the sky was restrained. Now, it had stopped long before this. Well, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of that raining period, we know that the water had covered all the mountains uh, to a depth above the highest peak of uh, 15 cubits. And that's about 22 and a half feet or something like that, if memory serves me. And the water receded steadily. So as, as soon as the rain stops, uh, if there's a drain, then it's, the water's going to start going down. The water receded steadily from the earth and at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. I don't think I wanted to do that. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. So, uh, and all these dates here, the 7th month, the 17th day of the month, that is referencing Noah's life. So it's the year, 600th year of his life. So five months after the start of the flood, back in Genesis 7 11, the ark comes to rest. It ran aground on this uh, mountain peak. Uh, means the waters had receded by that time, by that point, at least globally, uh, 22 and a half feet thereabouts. The ark runs aground. The mountains of Ararat, uh, it's not specific. This doesn't mean Mount called Ararat, but on, it's on the mountains in the area called Ararat. And that's a quote from uh, Gordon Wenham's commentary on Genesis. The water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. And I thought, when I read this, you remember maybe two weeks ago, yeah, it was two weeks ago on uh, Communion Sunday, Pastor, I think it was then, had a beautiful gra- graphic uh, on this on the screen. It was the background for his slides or, or was a, a picture that was there. But you had this something every sailor has seen essentially 360 degrees of water. You look out there, all you can see is water that way off in the distance, kind of in the haze, you can see the peaks of these mountain ranges out there. Uh, something like would be a, a good picture from the periscope on a submarine that is uh, is maybe approaching a coastline. Um, the water had fallen sufficiently for the mountaintops to be seen and uh, I have a quote here: "The water withdrawal proceeds in steps." In in verse four, uh, compare with when the flood started. Verse four would be would compare to Genesis seven eighteen. The ark started floating; it floated off there. Well, here it's touched bottom. Uh, verse five uh, corresponds with Genesis seven nineteen and twenty. The hills were covered. Now here the tops of the hills have become a, 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 a visible again. And as I said, this is like that computer graphic that pastor had. I wish I had that and I would have popped it up on the screen, but I don't. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark to which he had made in this window. Uh, we're not told where it was, but it seems like it was probably in the top of the ark as opposed to being in the side, because he couldn't, the next few verses you'll see, he couldn't see anything where the, what was going out around the ark, but he could see out and he could let something out. And so, so what he did, he sent out a raven. And he sent out a raven. It flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Now, raven is a, raven is a, is a scavenger. It would be one of the the so-called unclean birds and uh, so there were only a pair of them on the ark. He still wants it to stay alive. And it would fly about here, there, there. And, and maybe it could, it could touch down on a mountaintop. It's a, uh, it could find maybe something to eat from some decaying animal flesh or vegetation and would come back to the, uh, to the ark. He sent out a dove to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. And... Uh, But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. Now she, a dove, it was one of our clean birds, and uh, they won't land, they're picky. Uh, And uh, it says in Scripture, so the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him in the ark, uh, for the water was still on the surface of the land. And he put out his hand and took her and brought her in the ark to himself. And so he waited for yet another seven days and again he sent her out from the ark and what happened then? Dove came to him toward evening and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf so Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth to the point where uh, things could start growing again and I'm told that uh, olives, uh, trees Will even uh, sprout leaves under water. So uh, there you have that. And he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove. And this time she didn't come back. And uh, so that kind of clued him in though. maybe it was uh, it was time to start thinking about getting out of the ark. And so it came about. Uh, and there's some uh, we use that we use that scripture that uh, I got my uh, well I don't have my I don't have my pointer turned anyway the the initial Hebrew word in that vaya he is uh, is it came about and that's used as a it's a uh, uh, discourse marker certain things that br- come to our attention so this is happening so in the uh, Came about in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. So that's Noah's 601st year, first month, first day. Then he removed the covering from the ark. Now the covering, we were told, is in the side near the top. And behold, he could see the surface of the ground was dried up. And we advance in time a little bit in the second month, on the 27th day of the month. The earth was dry, and this takes us back. We go back, we could think about when it started. That was in the uh, second month on the 17th day in the 600th year. So we've had a year and uh, 10 days or so. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you and bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. It's time to go out and start rebuilding life. Now, We weren't told how long it took to get all them off the ark, Uh, but uh, that's a lot of animals. It's a big boat. It didn't take very long to get the people off, but to get all the animals off in some kind of order, uh, I won't, it's not months, it's not weeks, but it may be a couple of days. So, Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Comparing this with what happened back in 622 where Noah did all according to all that God had commanded him to do. He is still doing what the Lord is telling him to do when he tells him to do it. So they went out. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by their families from the ark. And then we get into a section that's uh, uh, from Genesis 8.20 through Genesis 9.17. That's basically a, a, it's a divine monologue that's essentially addressed to Noah. And we'll work through that. Yep, we will. Uh, and uh, it's going to break down something like this. So... Uh, Eight twenty 20 through 22, God's intentions, uh, the continuance of the creative order. And then 9, 1 through 17, God's blessing, broken down into three parts, uh, be fruitful and fill the earth in 9, 1 through 7. Uh, and you'll note, uh, those of you that know Genesis, we also get the uh, capital punishment uh, for murder. In uh, their institutionalized nine eight through eleven, the eternal covenant, uh, and that's going to be the the promise not to do that flood again. And then in nine twelve through seventeen, the sign of the covenant. So let's see if we can work through that in a reasonable period of time. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and said to himself, I will not further curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. So let's let's, uh, dive down here a little bit, and what is he saying, and what is he not saying. Uh. He's not saying as I think your New American Standard may read uh, that he is never, going, never again uh, uh, going to curse the ground because the curse for the ground obviously goes on today. The curse of the ground that was enacted in Genesis 3 when, uh, when man initially sinned, that curse goes on. What he is saying, he's not going to add to it more than what it already has. Uh, and that's what not further curse the ground on a can of man means. And then, uh, never again destroy every living thing as I have done. The key part there is the as I have down, done. Meaning, I'm not going to cause a global flood ever again. So that's the, uh, that's the interpretation of that verse. And how long does that last? Uh, this kind of poetic thing while the earth remains seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease so that means we're going to have a restoration to the normal seasons we're going to have summer we're going to have winter we're going to have seed time we're going to have harvest it's going to be cold it's going to get hot summer, winter and that shall not cease It. there had to be, if you think about what the impact was geologically uh, everything else when uh, when all that water came up from below and down from the sky that the effects that it had on everything a total destruction uh, an upheaval uh, there was probably volcanic activity and all sorts of things going on as this happened and yeah, an interruption in everything for this period of time and now God's promising I'm going to restore that and uh, it'll continue as long as the key part is while the earth remains. And God blessed Noah and his sons to them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. So this is a big change. We get a change in the, uh, uh, well, we'll get to that in the next slide. But uh, we don't know exactly what the relationship between men and animals was prior to the flood. We do know that there was a big change at the fall. Uh, they all got around, They all got along just marvelously prior to the fall, but at the fall, uh, all of those uh, herbivorous animals a lot, not all of them but a lot of them became carnivorous uh, and would eat each other and eat people if they got a chance so men and animals weren 't friends, uh, but now there is a fear in all the animals of uh, of man, and they 've been given uh, to man so have dominion over them as was originally granted but there's something else coming up now every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you I give all to you as I gave the green plant so they were everybody was a vegetarian up until the flood and the protocol for food's been changed consumption of animal flesh is now allowed there's some restrictions only only you shall not eat the flesh with its life that is its blood. So you don't drink animals blood. Uh, the prohibition against consumption of blood is affirmed. When animals are killed for food, the requirement is the requirement is that the blood must be drained and, and so. Surely I will require your life, blood from every beast. I will require, and from every man, and from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. If you do this, uh, it is uh, it is going to be very costly. Uh, and moreover, whoever sheds man's blood. By man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he created him. Let's unpack this thing. Uh, whoever, sh- Metaphoric. Uh, shedding of blood uh, is a metaphor for killing. Uh, we talk about Christ's shed blood on the cross. Uh, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the pouring of the liquid out of his body that saves us. It was his spiritual death in payment for our sins that saves us. So the metaphor is uh, shed blood, sin. So uh, if you kill somebody, it says by man his blood shall be shed. That means there will be capital. Your life is forfeit. Murderers forfeit their lives. Uh, And why? Why is that? for in the image of God he created man. That is a destruction of an image bearer of God when one murders another one and therefore uh, makes the life of the murderer forfeit. A very tight chiastic structure uh, in uh, those uh, few words that you have shed, blood, man, man, blood, shed and it goes that way. It's a wonderful, wonderfully put together verse. And then, as for you, Be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. I read something interesting recently that said, uh, well, it's not possible that everybody could have been killed except for these eight people and then the earth repopulated uh, to where we have today in 2023 some eight billion, give or take, a hundred million or so on either side, people on the earth. It just can't happen that way. Mathematically, uh, it happens abundantly. Uh, if there's no allowance for murder, the actual numbers would be in the uh, uh, in the quadrillion range of population of the Earth. Just normal 1.2 children per parent and a normal lifespan. So it is. It's so. Don't ever let anybody feed you that stuff that it's not mathematically possible. It is imminently possible. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, Now we have the covenant, the Noah covenant. Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So who's doing the work? God is doing the work. God's doing it all. Noah doesn't have anything to do with it. And not just Noah and his family, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, the And every beast of the earth with you. All of that comes out of the ark. Of all that comes out of the ark. Even every beast of the earth. So nobody is left out. Not a living creature. Is left out. I establish. My covenant with you. And all flesh. All flesh. Shall never again be cut off. By the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. It's never going to happen again. Never again will there be global destruction by a flood. God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. So anytime you're out there and you've got the right combination, you gotta have some you gotta have a lot of moisture in the air, maybe it just finished raining, maybe it's misting, and you gotta have sunshine and the sun's behind you, and you're looking ahead and you can see the refracted light beams. In the colors of the rainbow. And that is. An eternal promise. That he's never going to do that global flood thing again. It shall come about. When I bring a cloud over the earth. That the bow will be seen in the cloud. And I'll remember. He didn't think, he didn't forget. He said, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, never again shall water become a flood to destroy all flesh. That's a promise. When the bow is in the cloud. Then I will look upon it. To remember the everlasting covenant. Between God and every living creature. Of all flesh that is on earth. And God said to Noah. This is the sign of the covenant. Which I have established. Between me and you. And all flesh that is on the earth. The rainbow. That's the sign of the Noah covenant. Which goes on. Now. Whoops. Let's go. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Hmm. Something coming up about that. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was repopulated, so these three men and their wives were the start And boom, Uh, so on the order of uh, uh, two plus million, two plus billion from each of those pairs. Noah retired to be a farmer. Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. This is the first, uh, that kind of horticulture. Uh, There weren't any vineyards before. They were crop farmers and all that stuff, but he planted a vineyard. And he drank some of the wine and became drunk. uh, Passed out, uncovered himself in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Uh, Wow, this is uh, not good for Canaan. The chief thrust of the story of uh, what Ham's error was, and we'll see this in the next few slides. His error was in going out and saying, "Hey guys, you know what? Dad's and yeah, you know, and and uh, so uh, that was the problem there that resulted in the in the curse. Because we see the response of the other two brothers, Shem and Jacob, They took a garment. And laid it upon both of their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. But Noah, when he awoke from his wine, in addition to a headache, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. And so what did he do? How he discovered what had happened to him is not relevant. It's not told, so therefore it's not relevant. What is important is what did he do about it? So he said, He, Noah, cursed be Canaan. Know if Canaan is the firstborn of Ham, uh, makes sense, but cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. And he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So all right. Remember who's getting this story? This is this is being communicated to the two million or so. Uh, second generation uh, Exodus group waiting on the plains of Moab to cross the Jordan River into the promised land uh, that God is going to take for them. Uh, And, oh, who occupies that land they're going to take? The Canaanites. Uh, And so they're getting some... Now, they've gotten a lot of history uh, or they're getting it. This early in Genesis is kind of like the... Dick and Jane uh, and C-Spot run version of their knowledge in history. It's the beginning. And so they will understand. They understand that there was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, they understand that the Canaanites are at this point in history an abomination that God wants to wipe off the face of the earth. Uh, they understand that Shem, uh, who was the ancestor of... Uh, of Abraham, uh, their father, that uh, he wound up being the, uh, the big kahuna in this group and the others served him uh, and Canaan was his servant. So the, the, the Jews that are getting this, they're going to understand all of this. It makes sense to them. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So he was 600, 350, round math, 950. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. And this goes, just like all the others mentioned in the genealogy of Adam that we studied a few weeks back, there was a, there was a litany you would go through there and there so-and-so lived X number of years and he gave birth to this person. And then after that, he lived X number of more years and had other sons and daughters. And he died. Uh, and like this, there's a termination there for Noah. He All the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. So that takes us through the end of the story. What we've got to do next is uh, finish up the last of the main events in Genesis 1 through 11 and that's going to be the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of people globally by different languages confounding the languages and first we'll, we'll take a quick run through Genesis chapter 10 the table of nations where we get all the begets and begots and find out where all these people came from and then <coughs> excuse me in, uh, <coughs> in chapter 11 we'll talk about the, uh, the Tower of Babel so that's it for today ah it's not quite Okay, Uh, we're in a ministry of the gospel. Uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, Uh, should turn to Christ and trust Him as their Savior. Uh, And man has the ability to make decisions. Uh, And God has given us work to do. Matthew, the last few verses of Matthew uh, with Jesus is together with the disciples just before he is ascended up in, it's after his resurrection, just before he is ascended up to heaven uh, to be at the right hand of God for all the rest of eternity. He makes a statement to them. He tells them, he gives them a, uh, the, uh, the great commission and he says, Go. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always and even to the end of the earth. And remember the key thing that he commanded them was to love one another as he loved them. And what is the the greatest love that we can show for an unbeliever is to share the gospel with them so that they know the 10 words, Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Count them. That's 10 words. And um, where do we find that in Scripture? Well, in, Mark likes to do this a lot. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, the words, I delivered to you as of first important that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. There, it's written. And that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, the truth of the Gospel. What must a man do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. We don't have a sign, there's no dot on my forehead, Uh, there's certainly no angelic halo above my uh, cranium and uh, nobody has we don't manifest outwardly our position in Christ we sometimes can manifest outwardly by our activities that we may not be uh, but we don't know truth is I don't know one person knows that's God the Father he knows Jesus knows who has trusted him I don't know what I can do is pray uh, if uh, if you don't know if you're not sure if you have a question, please 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 don't hesitate to ask. Uh, you can approach me or any of the other deacons and say I want to talk about this because I don't understand this or I don't understand that, and we'll be happy to talk to you uh, and answer those questions and hopefully so you you're the only one can make the decision on where you're going to spend all eternity. It's a binary decision. You spend it face-to-face with Jesus or you spend it face-to-face, eternally separated in the lake of fire. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we love You. We love the purity of Your Word. We love the wonderful truth that You have maintained and sustained for us. We ask always that You will Make those truths understandable and believable to anyone that hears them. For anyone that needs to know, please please provide a communicator of the words of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And to have eternal life, all you have to do is believe that. And let the Holy Spirit send him to do the work of convincing them of their need for a Savior and making the words real to them so that they can make the decision that only they can make. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time we've had together. We ask your blessing upon the balance of this day and our next session in ministry, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.